Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Today, I'm glad to welcome back to the show, Justin Wilmo Early. Justin is a writer, speaker, and lawyer. He is the author of the award-winning Common Rule, or The Common Rule and Habits of the Household, though he spends most days running his business law practice. Through his writing and speaking, Justin empowers God's people to thrive through life-giving habits that form them in the love of God and neighbor. He lives with his wife and four boys in Richmond, Virginia. Justin, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Aaron. Super glad to be here. Honored you asked me back. Well, glad that you uh, came back on. Excited that you wrote another book that we get to talk about today. Um, but yeah, it's glad to have you back on. We both, you know, uh, we, we, let's see, we talked uh around the i think it was around a year ago uh whenever habits of the household came out and uh that was one of our most loved episodes for sure um definitely one of my favorites and a highlight so yeah it's great to have you back on um yeah in the past year i uh i I told you before i've got a puppy here with me and this is the first (laughs) this is his first time in studio so just let you and the audience know if you hear any whimpering uh or scratching that that is yeah. him his name's Cosmo, everybody needs so. to know that's that's not my fault that's not me making weird noises but i'm, yeah. I'm happy you can join us and be on our soundtrack here <laughs> yeah yeah so my, i actually did my last episode um in a coffee shop because i just i was like he oh, really? cannot yeah I, I thought he is not going to be able to handle it at all the distractions of the sound of a coffee shop in the background would be better than him and so i did that and it actually worked out pretty well i thought um did it. Okay. but but he's a little few weeks older now, so I thought, all right, let's see if he can do it. So, But man, glad to have you back on. So the book we're talking about today is your new book on friendship called Made for People, Why We Drift into Loneliness and How to Fight for a Life of Friendship. I love that you wrote this book because uh, I don't think there's a ton of Christian books out there about friendship. Uh, That's and what, what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and what Christian friendship means. Mm-hmm. And since this show is about figuring out, you know, what does the Christian worldview mean for all of life? Um, that includes friendship. So, yeah, start us off by talking about your inspiration for the book. Aside from just seeing a lack of resources like this, what uh, what compelled you to write Made for People? Well, so this book goes back for me to an awkward moment in high school, which I tell about at the beginning of the, the book. So I came to high school a um, pretty nerdy. My characteristics then were I was still tucking in my shirt. I was playing clarinet. Um I had some Christian t-shirts and some Bible verses on my binder. So you can imagine my, my social life wasn't going great. I was also the new kid in my high school. My dad had been elected to state office and we moved. So everybody knew of me, but nobody knew me. And I remember mm-hmm. my ninth grade year really being kind of like a wasteland of loneliness. I wouldn't have called it loneliness then. Um, that's a term I've subsequently learned to use. And we can talk about what that means. But put it in short, Aaron everything was hard like everything was a cause of anxiety everything was a cause of fear um and i thought at the time that that was just what life was like you know that anxiety and depression and loneliness are sort of just baked into the human experience and then i had a moment that changed everything and it was a funny moment in retrospect at 
the lockers with a new friend named Steve. I just met Steve at a youth group retreat and we had bonded over hacky sacks, skateboards and drum sets. Um, very 1990s in some respects. So it was, but these were common interests yeah, that's of incredible. both of us. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we had like what the C.S. Lewis calls this U2 moment of friendship where you realize that someone else has the same interests that you do and you feel like this incredible solidarity all of a sudden. And we were at the lockers a couple weeks after this. And I think it was Steve, we can't quite remember who, turned turned to me and asked a simple question. He was like, do you want to be best friends? And as if it was a decision to go out for lunch or get Slurpees or something, I was just like, yeah, that sounds <laughs> yeah. like a good idea. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that was that. And wow. then my entire life started to change. So after this simple, awkward moment of naming a relationship, and I talk about this in the book, but I had no idea how significant naming could be and naming a friendship. My whole experience of high school changed drastically, not because my circumstances changed. I was still in the awkward adolescent world of public high school, but I was no longer facing them alone. And I remember in short order, feeling as if I was made for this, like that someone had made me for friendship. If now I fast forward about 20 years from that experience to you know, now my mid to late thirties. And, you know, many people have experiences of friendship and camaraderie in college or high school. So I don't think I'm unique, but what I've started to realize in the past decade is that what happened to me in high school explains a lot of the world. And, and that, and that is this, that we actually do fall apart in significant ways when we don't have friends in our life. And that I was um, not unusual in my sense that everything about life is hard without a friend. In fact, Surgeon General statistics and epidemic of loneliness stuff is now starting to be well publicized saying that your life physically and mentally does fall apart without people by my side, by your side. And then at the same time as I've been maturing in my faith, I've realized there's a reason for that. It's because God made us for friendship. God made us for people. Hence the title of this yeah. book, Made for People. And yeah. so diving into that theological backing and the epidemic of loneliness, for me, it became a pressing subject to write about, not only because of the glories that friendship has brought in my life, but also because of I look around at the world now and I see a lot of people just like me. They think all the anxiety, the depression, the the stress, the difficulty of life is baked into life itself. And I want to look at them and say, it's baked into loneliness and you were made for friendship and you can find it. It is a holy thing to pursue. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. I love that you started out with that story. Very, it's a very vulnerable, um, way to start out with the, you know, sharing something <laughs> that like one of our, you know, less glamorous, uh, stories with, uh, with your audience. And I like that it's the same advice that we just gave my son whenever he started pre-K, you know. Uh, and so he just he just started pre-K school, and we told him, you know, just go up to a boy and ask him if you want to be friends. And so it's good to know that advice can hold can really carry him all the way through high school. <laughs> that, no, that, I I love that. I think yeah. one of the things that I'm hoping to do in this book is to give a name to something that has been unnamed. I mean, you said just a minute ago, you know, I don't think we have a lot of books on friendship or Christian friendship. And I, and I think yes. And, I, and one of my questions has been why. And I think it's because we have forgotten the significance of this fundamental relationship that 
is entirely biblical. And, and in fact, most of the world up until the last century and a half knew this really well. And whether it's naming the relationship in an awkward way, like Steve and I at the lockers, or just being a person who is willing to be awkwardly intentional, even in JK or kindergarten. So, hey, let's be friends. Hey, let's play. Um, all the way up to the most mature versions of this, which is realizing that articulating this need gets us a long way. Like if the church were to say, oh, there's this thing called friendship, and Jesus uses it to explain salvation to us in John 15, that's a really important part of our Christian vocabulary. But if you say the word friendship, people think you're talking about something extra to the Christian life or a luxury to the Christian life. And I would like to call the modern church to take this word and put it back in the category of prayer and quiet times and spiritual disciplines and inviting Jesus into your heart, the kinds of things that were like, oh, this is at the central place of our spirituality, because I honestly believe friendship is central to our spirituality. And a primary task of this book is to name it. Yeah, that's good. And I think one of the things that makes the foundation of this book so great is that, uh, you know, it's in the title, Made for People. And so whenever you're approaching this uh, subject of friendship, and wanting to communicate to people how uh, crucial it is to our well-being mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, um, you go back to the foundational questions. What were we made for? So we were made, and uh, what were we made for? And th yeah, those are, uh, those are worldview questions that yes. have relevance not just for what we usually apply them to, which is like, Christian apologetics and uh, mm -hmm. cultural analysis, but also for, you know, one of those just really everyday issues, which is relationships and friendship. Yes. Uh, you right. had a great line in the introduction, uh, which is uh, something along the lines of, uh, I should have had it pulled up, but it's, um, you can be lonely with God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack that? Yes. So, this is incredibly important to back up the claim I just made that, that friendship should be at the center of our spirituality because one might appropriately ask, explain that to me biblically? And here it is. When you begin a reading of the Bible, you will see God in Genesis 1 making the world and calling it good, 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 very good. Um, so there's this refrain of good, good, good. And then in Genesis 2, you see him look at Adam and say, it is not good that you're alone, which is startling in the Hebrew poetry of early Genesis because it's like the drumbeat of good just got interrupted. And the, the, the writer, God, the Bible, is trying to tell us, pay attention here. God's saying something significant. The fall hasn't happened yet. And yet God is looking at Adam and saying, something is not good. You're alone. And that that should be really startling to us because God is there, right? So to, to repeat, this is why it kind of sounds blasphemous at first. And I really wrestled with this and, and read other theologians and pastors on it to make sure I wasn't <laughs> going mm -hmm. out on a, on a heretical limb here. Because you can be lonely with God doesn't sound right. But apparently yeah. it is right because God himself, the triune God, looks at Adam and says it. He's it's like if you're with your wife on a dinner date and you're like, this would, this is such a great night, except that I'm so lonely. Something would be off. It's like, why, why are you lonely? <laughs> you're together. But God is looking at Adam and saying, you're alone because he, Adam was made in the communal Trinitarian image of God. Thus, Adam was meant to experience God amongst other people. And we, like Adam, can't experience God the way that we are made to experience him. 
until we do so alongside others. And this is the beautiful moment at the end of Genesis 2 when Eve is given to Adam. And not only does Adam sing an ode to women in marriage, which is also true and also part of this, but it's now there's now a completion to person, other people, and God, this sort of triangle that we were made for. And that is it that is the paradise we're made for. And that's the paradise we lost in Genesis 3, when sin enters the garden and suddenly you have fig leaves hiding Adam and Eve from each other and bushes hiding them from God. And this idea that we were made to be with God amongst other people, known and fully loved, you know, naked without shame. And that falls apart in Genesis 3, where we start hiding from other people and hiding from God. And the point of that is just to say, this explains why we are the way we are. I mean, this explains why we feel something internally right about the world when relationships are going well, because it is right. It's what we were made for. And it's why we feel like the world is falling apart when relationships aren't going well, or when we're lonely, or when there's conflict or division between the people we love and us, because something is fundamentally wrong. So my, my point in, you know, made for people as the title, or saying something bold, like you can be lonely for with God, is to explain that theologically, the Bible's setting up right at the beginning, that relationships make or break life. Like they, they make or break life because you were made for them. And you can't understand the fallen world we live in without understanding that it's fallen relationally. Um, and I would, I'll forecast, I won't talk for too long here, but I'll forecast. So this is exactly why it makes so much sense when Jesus comes and puts the world back together and calls it an act of friendship. Because he's coming back to fix what got broken in the garden. But I'll pause on that for a second and see if we want to dig anything more out of Genesis before we go on. Mm, no, I mean, that's that's really good. Um, yeah, you know, I think this is an idea that I had first come across whenever I was reading uh, Francis Schaeffer's book on Genesis. And he talked about mm. how, you know, we, we were made to have a relationship with God, but we're also physical. He also created us as, um, as physical beings, relational beings mm-hmm. who were made to have a relationship with other uh, with other people. And uh, and I just really, really remember that that struck me. Because I think that, you know, we talk about how God is all sufficient for us, and he is. But in the way that he designed us, he designed us to also have community with, with other people. That's right. And so that's, that's why right. it is okay that you can be lonely with God. It doesn't mean that God yes. isn't sufficient for you. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, you're – I think we could also point out to people how it can be um, – so, someone might sometimes feel guilty because of their loneliness. And so therefore they think that they are, there's something wrong with their relationship with God because, well, if I really was close enough to God, why am I still feeling this longing? You know? Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe yeah. for some people listening to this, it might be freeing and helping, uh, consoling to know that it doesn't mean there's something wrong in your relationship with God. It just means that, you know, he has a, these good gifts of friendships that he wants for yeah. you to have. And, uh, yeah. yeah. I I would very much affirm that. I mean, one, just for anybody who's nervous about the idea to make really clear, this is not because of God's lack. It's because of his good design. God mm-hmm. is, it, the reason we can be lonely with God is not because he's insufficient. It's because he, as our all-powerful, perfect creator, designed us to need other people to experience him fully. 
So mm-hmm. it's, it's his instruction to us. And it's also a sign of what we were made for, which is why I, I want to agree, Aaron, it's, we shouldn't feel guilt or, um, over loneliness as much as we should feel a signal pointing us to the life that we were made for. Um, not to mention, if you're an American, um, really, if you're a Westerner, um, you, the default is to be lonely. I mean, we live in a society that is structured towards individualism. So in the book, I, I call it the current. We live in a current of loneliness. I mean, the current of American life is to become busier, wealthier people who used to have friends. Mm. And I think most people that I talk to, at least in the church, don't initially resonate with the idea that they're lonely um, because that word seems to connote somebody who's living alone in an apartment and doesn't see or interact with anyone. But the loneliness that um, public health would diagnose is not that you don't see anybody. It's that you're not known by anybody. You don't have close, intimate relationships with anybody. And that, I feel, for most people who are out of the college phase, they will look back at life and realize, oh, my gosh, wait, I'm in that American current. I used to have friends. Like I used to be a person who was known and I used to be a person who who hung out with other people. uh, But now the complications of life, whether it's parenting or work or moving for a job or it could be it could be conflict or, you know, loss of family members, loss of friends, whatever. There seems to be there are things that inexorably push us in the direction of individualism. And that is not something necessarily to feel guilty about. It's actually incredibly normal to be a person who used to have friends, but it's not something to be content with either. We need to be a church who swims against the current because God made us to live upstream. He made us to live with other people. And I think to honor his intention for the body of Christ is to say, we've got to work to reclaim friendship um, as a mode of living. Like, and, and mm. the I think the church yeah. here has a a serious opportunity for witness, actually, because yeah. we live in an increasingly recognized epidemic of loneliness. So for the church to be a place where we can theologically articulate human beings were made for friendships, that's why you feel the way you do, and that's why you're falling apart the way you are. This is how we do them. I think we would be like a lighthouse to, to, the, to the boats out at sea, saying this is the good life, this is how to live. And that is a, is a deep longing of mine, that the church would learn to light up the world with friendship because it's also it's also a lot of in my experience of list it's in, in my experience of life it's also the way i see people coming to faith in america through relationship and friendship rather than apologetics at least in the cultural moment we're living in yeah i had the same thoughts as i was reading you know I, uh, uh, wow what a opportunity for the church and um this needs to be a part of our apologetic uh, mm-hmm. of our defense of the gospel and our appeal to the world of the power of the gospel is the friendships that we have. And, and Jesus said that clearly in the gospel of John, that uh, yes. the world will know by our love for one another. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that's got to include friendship. Um, yes. And actually, yeah, it, if, yeah, go ahead. if you don't mind me jumping on that, I think it's actually mm-hmm. helpful to close the theological loop with, with Jesus, because if everything we've said is true so far, right, we were made for relationship. We lost it in the fall. America is a great example, as is the rest of history, of we are broken because we lack relationship. I mean, it's a sign of the fall to live in individualism and loneliness. Well, Jesus 
is the one who comes and plucks us out of that countercurrent by saying, I'm, I'm going to remake you in the image of relationship. And I don't think we can understand the centrality of friendship to our spirituality unless we look at that passage in John 15 and say, oh my gosh, Jesus is saying that he calls us friends because he disclo he's disclosed everything the Father has said to him. He's disclosed to us, i.e. vulnerability. He's opened himself up to us in committed vulnerability because he's about to die on the cross for us. And those that idea that Jesus is saying, my salvation of you is an act of friendship. I'm making myself vulnerable to you and committing to you. And that's what salvation means. That to me closes the theological loop. It's like, oh, we were made for vulnerable relationships with God and others. It's what we lost in the fall, fig leaves and bushes, is what Jesus is giving back in, in salvation. And it's what he's calling us to in consummation. You know, oh, that's, that's the church as it's made to be, a temple, the body of Christ, where we actually come together in the midst of our sin and love each other anyway. And so to, to sum that up, I mean, Jesus is the God who comes and is vulnerable to us. He knows everything about us, and yet he loves us anyway. And that is my working definition of friendship in this book. Someone who knows you thoroughly, but loves you anyway. That's what yeah. a covenant friend is, because that's who Jesus is. And my, the call of the, the book is to imitate Jesus, to be a friend like he's a friend. Because if we're supposed to be imitators of God from Ephesians, right? and Jesus is the archetypal friend, well then becoming like Jesus necessarily means becoming more and more like a friend. So we are now in the heartbeat of the Christian life. It's friendship. Yeah, that's excellent. And I love that you describe uh, what you're putting forth in this book as covenant friendship. Um, and that, that's a concept that also became new to me within the last uh, couple of years. Um, and I think it's one that should become standard among Christians that we pursue covenant friendships. Can you describe what's different about this type of friendship that you are proposing through the book? What's different about a covenant friendship than what is typically thought of as friendship in the broader culture? Yes. So I use the word covenant friendship to elevate the term. Again, try to give language, this naming idea, to try to name a type of friendship that really is a spiritual version of friendship. And I say that only because the word friendship has been so diluted in our recent history. I mean, uh, I'm not blaming it all on Facebook, but it's now commonly understood that you could do friendship by a click, you know, of friending mm -hmm. somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and so rightly, rightly, we would not think friendship is at the center of the spiritual life if it's something you can do with a click. So I'm trying to say covenant friendship. Here is a word to reclaim the kind of gospel-bearing friendship based on Jesus, where you say to somebody else, I will make my life known, exposed, and vulnerable to you, and you and I will stick together. So it's vulnerability plus commitment. These are my what, what I suggest are the main two working ingredients of covenant friendship. And what that in practice you know, means, Aaron, for example, is I have friends here in Richmond who many, praise God, it's a blessing, who I would call covenant friends. And it means that there is a true invitation for them to know me fully. Um, I don't hide things from them. I, I'm, I'm, in fact, what I would call a person without secrets, right? And they are too. We know all the intimate details of each other's life, the bad and the good. 
And yet, even as we know them and see how fallen each other are and annoy each other and get frustrated with each other, there's an articulated commitment, not not a marriage ceremony, not a contract signed in blood, though I still kind of like that idea, but just an articulated gesture of commitment that says, I'm sticking around. Um, and that's wildly different than the way most people treat relationships. I mean, most most of our culture would treat friends as disposable cups. Like as soon as they're not useful anymore, or as soon as there's a crack in the facade, it's like, throw this away, pick up a new relationship. Yeah. And I spend a lot of time in the book arguing why forgiveness, um, why bearing with each other in their sin, why, why getting over our problems is precisely the point that we're actually sanctified as we learn to forgive and persevere with each other. So covenant friendship is a way to signal something that is more than the ordinary relationship, but it's entirely something based off Jesus's relationship to us. So I'd say it's nothing new. It's actually looking back to the Bible and saying, this is how we were made to live. Let's name it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I've been blessed to have as well with several guys here, uh, the, are in Lafayette and a few that are, um, in other parts of the country now. And, um, and, and yeah, that type of friendship is something uh, that truly does give life to you, that brings you, that, that helps you in your walk in relationship with God, um, more than just the, you know, superficial, oh, we both like, you know, this sport, or we both go to right. this gym, or, right. or this or that, right. that, you know, is typically presented to us as this is what friendship is in the world. You know, it's pretty <laughs> incredible how it's not uncommon today for, I think men especially, uh, for yes. a couple of guys or a group of three or four guys to be friends for 30 years and not really, like, really know each other. Right, right, right. Because it's been very superficial the whole time. They get along fishing or, you know, uh, watching the game, cooking together, whatever else it might be, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but, but, like, it doesn't go much deeper than that. And so those covenant friendships where you know that there's safety and that vulnerability, there's acceptance, uh, even in your weakness and your failures, mm-hmm. like, man, that it, it's life changing. And, you know, I know I'm, I'm not the person or I wouldn't be the person that I am today if it wasn't for those friendships, those guys that, that are listening to this episode, I can guarantee you, <laughs> <laughs> yes. you talk about it, uh, pursuing these kind of friendships in, uh, through a list of habits, uh, which mm-hmm. is a habit for you in your three books <laughs> to write about yes. habits. So uh, the first one is talking about vulnerability. Can you walk us through? All right, so men and women, everyone who's pursuing friendship, what does uh, what does the habit of vulnerability look like in covenant friendships? If you had something to add before, I might have kind of cut you off. But no, 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 no. no. Yeah, Actually, yeah, I was I was going to launch right into vulnerability because you know you're talking about it's possible for men, and I do think that men are more prone to this. So it's very possible for women too. Um, yeah. To live next to other people, sharing common interests, sharing common experience, but never actually truly knowing each other. And so each of the chapters in this book, I base on art and habit. Um, So the, the art is the idea. Let's take vulnerability for an example is that, you know, relationships are unique. I I could not credibly, even though I love, as you know, Aaron, writing about habits, I couldn't credibly claim that friendship is at at core a habit. It's habits lead to it. Um, It also is a lot art because it's relationships. So the art here is, is vulnerability and the habit is confession. 
And, and that practice of confession, I think, is what leads us to living lives of vulnerability. Now, let's just put it, put it in practice, right? Um, what I suggest is that people look for a couple relationships around them right now and ask themselves, how can they move towards greater vulnerability and transparency in them? Because all this talk about covenant friendship might, might make people feel like, well, look, I don't have like decades long friends from high school. I just moved to a new area or I'm, I'm older. Maybe you're an empty nest, so you don't have time to do this. I, I'm suggesting, no, this is something that you can do right now, wherever you are with just one or a couple friends. And that is go deeper into a transparent life. And the way that this looks for me and my two best friends named Matt and Steve, Steve, you'll remember from the high school story. We're still, we're still trucking. Um, we, uh, we get together every other Tuesday night on one of our front porches. We're recording on a Wednesday, actually, just did this last night. And we just talk. It is nothing fancy. I mean, we could be senior citizens meeting at McDonald's. We could be young 20-year-olds meeting at a coffee shop. Right now, we're in our mid to late 30s hanging out on our front porch. It's just the idea of coming together regularly, not just to run or lift weights or to play chess or to play Call of Duty or something. We do do a lot of shared activities. But one of the habits is that we, at least every other week, turn to deep conversation and ask hard questions that are not complicated. They're just real ones. Like, how are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing with your kids? How's your mental health given the blank things you were experiencing? What does your internet history look like? Um, what are you worried about? How are your finances? These, these things that are actually not even really structured because we've been working on this for a while. They're just natural turns towards saying, what's going on? in your inner life where yeah. we're inviting we're inviting each other to be like Christ and that is make known everything become vulnerable which actually the latin root of that means to be capable of being wounded because when we tell our secrets when we tell our deepest stuff you know we're literally giving our friends the weapons with which to hurt us they could go tell the world and we're doomed right but yeah. what actually happens when you pair vulnerability with commitment is i experience with Matt and Steve an embodiment of Jesus's love for me, that I hear somebody else know me and hear all my mistakes and hear all my shame. And that, and they say, I love you and Christ love you. Like you're, you're good, even in the midst of your failure. And it's like every other week when I hear that, I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, I needed that. I needed that reenactment of the gospel through this simple habit of talking. I mean, I call it confession. Yeah. Um, you can call it vulnerability, but it's also just called honest, honest conversation with friends. But when we go to that level, which can be made a habit, you can't, it can be a regular meeting time with that small group or accountability group or front porch group, whatever it is, that can be made a habit. And suddenly you have the habit of embodying the gospel to each other on a regular basis. And that is what I call the art of vulnerability. And honestly, Aaron, it will set you free. I mean, yeah. we need this because otherwise we all end up people living with secrets and secrets will eat us alive. Mm, yeah, that's so good. You know, I think that, um, so as a guy talking, talking to the guys in the audience out there, mm. I think that, um, I don't want to, I think that we often in the church think that there's like a, uh, a, uh, it's mutually exclusive. You can either do the activities or you can have the vulnerability. Right. So that's why we mm. have so many ineffective men's ministries in churches, because either on the one hand, all they do is go out and like throw footballs and barbecue. 
<laughs> or they say, hey, guys, would y'all like to sit in a circle and open up to each other? And no one wants to do that. <laughs> you know? I think that the key, and, the, and so this is something I've experienced like in my personal friendships and then, and then now also in our new men's ministry of the church, which is just going really great so far. The key is to do both. Because I think guys yes. get to that place of vulnerability whenever we do things together. I think it's just yes. how God made us. Um, he made us to like enjoy working on something or to right. do an activity, right. solve a problem, overcome an yes. obstacle. And so, and so, yeah, just as a guy speaking to the guys out there, um, figure out a way to do both. Because I, doing, I, I doing the struggle, agree. the competition, the game, the cooking, whatever else it is, do it together. And then like it, it just it works in our hearts to make us softer with each other. You know, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And my, my practical advice um, on this is just add a coffee like after the run or add like a beer after the football game or something where where you allow room for conversation before or after the shared activity because mm -hmm. i i do strongly agree um vulnerability does, doesn't just come out of thin air you need shared life experience in the beginning of shared trust and often for men that shared activity becomes the foundation for that but i just alongside you aaron encourage people don't you don't leave it at shared activity. That's companionship. Yeah. Okay. You can have a ton of companions. That's a network. That's colleagues. Friendship is where you turn to each other and actually share your interior life. And so practicing making that turn from talking about fantasy football to talking about how is your marriage going? That is an art and a habit that can and must be practiced. And it starts with just making room for conversation before or after the shared activity. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good because that is, I think, another temptation for a lot of guys, me included. You were definitely speaking to me right there. Um, is to skip the the second part, you know. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, you got to be disciplined, and uh, that's good. And, and I wanna, anyway, so I'm gonna, yeah, go I'm going to jump in and share one more thing here because yeah. it's something my my friend Matt, uh, who I'd mentioned, shared last night, and I thought it was so important. Um, he he was sharing that he thinks friendships matter so much in his life because when he's spending time in friendship, he's either laughing really hard or sharing about really hard stuff. And both of those are incredibly cathartic, mentally healthy and spiritually just to experience joy and shared experience. Um, because it's not, it's not all vulnerability and talking about deep stuff. It's also laughing really hard at jokes that people would think are inappropriate if I said them out loud on this podcast. I mean, we have, we have real friends with like, you know, real humor and everybody does. And part of yeah. it is just being real people with each other and cracking up about something that doesn't matter and that nobody else would think is funny. And then it's yeah. also that, you know, sharing about hard things. And I thought that's a wonderful way of putting it because moving back and forth from the common interests, things you can laugh about or you know, have fun over to the common vulnerability. That's the good life. And that's why I'm, and you know, Matt was just naming it last night and I couldn't agree more. Yeah. That's so good. That, <laughs> that makes me think of, so we, we kind of have this running joke in our group. Um, like I said, several of us are here. A few others are across the country. So we have like a text group that we all communicate through basically every day. And we've got this like running joke <laughs> that it gets that, there's something wrong with our friendship if after someone shares something serious the next response is not a joke 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. so like one of our friends, he's uh, there, they're uh, preparing for an international adoption. And he, uh, so he sent us this message <laughs> asking for some support and half the message didn't come through for me. So I sent a meme in response because like, I, I didn't see, I just saw like one part of it. So I gave it like a little heart react and then sent a meme because I missed like the main part where he was asking for some support. <laughs> And the other guys just trashed me. And he said, no, look, yeah. it's all good. It would have been weird if y'all didn't respond with a joke first. But there yeah, so I laughing hard that. and sharing our things. Okay, but in our time remaining, I want to make sure we get into some of the other arts and habits. Um, yeah. Let me see. Okay, hard to choose. I want to talk about the art of memory and habit of creating meaning. Mm. Share with us about that one. I really enjoy this chapter. I won't, I'll keep my answer short so we can cover a couple of these. Okay. But I took a lot of my cues from, um, again, actually the Gospel of John here and Jesus' last days with his disciples. So after he rises again from the dead and he comes on the boat and he finds them, um, or the disciples on the boat and he calls out to them from the shore and then he cooks them fish, breakfast over a charcoal fire and then he reinstates Peter. All these. I'm looking at that, and Jesus is creating incredible moments with his friends before he's about to leave them. And the chapter on memory and shared meaning is this idea of, again, like all the book in some, every chapter is taking a cue from the master of friendship, Jesus. But this one's particularly taking a cue for the way that he tries to recall their experiences together, um, apply meaning to them and do ordinary things with them, but also create extraordinary moments for conversation. And I just sort of like think through practical ways to do that with friends, whether it's a cabin weekend where you should catch up on the year or whether it's a regular get together at a special place at a location that, you know, recalls some of the reasons you're friends in the first place. There's little acts like that where I feel like most of our friendship is ordinary stuff. Um, but I want to call out that friendships and anybody who's been to summer camp will know in, in immediately what I'm talking about. Friendships can be forged incredibly deeply and very fast over certain getaway times when you're sort of away from the ordinary, um, on a cabin retreat or a church retreat or a, yeah. you know, sports camp weekend. And I try to encourage people that even, even when in your busy series, even when you're in your busy seasons of parenting or work or something, Keeping up small rhythms like that, like every year or every half a year or something, do incredible things for our relationships. And it's worth it, even though you're asking your spouse to care for the kids for the weekend or asking time off work or something. And, you know, married couples can, and we, we Lauren and I do this for each other, you know, like I make sure that she gets a weekend away with her friends. She does the same for me and vice versa. And I think it goes a long way to developing extraordinary moments mm. that then become part of your ordinary friendship. Yeah. So how do we, um, I think sometimes it's, is difficult. You can't, you can't manufacture meaning, you know? So how do we pursue those kinds of, um, times that become, that can become meaningful, um, without, you know, without it being something that just, just misses the mark or, um, yeah, whatever else, you yeah. know, like, yeah. So, so how do we build those, those times? to be meaningful um, beyond just I I'd agree you can't manufacture meaning but I would I would actually say you can come pretty close to creating space where the human desire for meaning will just like 
come in. So, for mm-hmm. example, um, on Father's Day two, a couple months ago, me and a bunch of my friends, it was almost 10 of us, got away for two evenings to uh, a house on the river. And we had no plan except to cook some good meals together and answer a set of like five questions. And like one person prepared ahead of time and no one else did. But it was just the idea that we sat around like on Saturday and just like, you know, we had some drinks, we had some food and we just demanded that each person answer these five questions. And they were sort of like, you know, what's been hard this year? How are you and your wife doing? What are you proud of? Um, Tell us something we can pray for you for. Like not complicated stuff, but like you like grown men are like laughing crying every hour on the hour like and we're just switching because just giving a little space for catch-up conversation at a time like at a river house away from the ordinary churn of life it was like suddenly we're all clamoring to be known understood and to like resonate in solidarity with each other so my like simple advice is to if you're longing for meeting and you're asking like get away for an evening and bring a list of questions and sit on a front porch and talk and you will you will find that um the desire to be known is there <laughs> mm-hmm. and the desire to know other friends is there and and i think you can actually come pretty close to manufacturing a really important moment just by becoming a good question asker or even a decent question asker yeah yeah so creating space and then a, just a little bit of thinking ahead with questions or something yeah, that's on I mean, your heart that you want to talk about. It takes a little about. intentionality yeah. for, you know, to say like, let's not yeah, just intentionality. Um, yeah. drink beer and, and play video games. Like let's actually make some time to talk, but you can do both. Like you, you can do both. You can, you know, set aside a couple hours after dinner and say, let's all just answer these questions. And that little yeah. bit of intentionality I, I, will go exponentially farther than you think. Mm-hmm. And that I would say is one of the themes in a couple places in this book and that is that small efforts we put into friendship get multiplied by God because that's it's mm-hmm. essentially an act of grace like our clumsy yeah, half good. efforts he honors and does incredible things with so even when you think I'm just doing this small thing of like showing up to a men's you know group every Saturday morning like what could this matter I'm like no that one hour a week will change your whole life or I'm just doing a small thing and just asking my friend one serious question as we like after we finish the basketball game that one serious question could change that guy's life and these small little efforts towards covenant friendship um it doesn't take a lot of work and suddenly we find ourselves kind of like steve and i after the lockers tumbling into an entirely different lifestyle because of one intentional moment of saying do you want to be best friends that theme is in, is true throughout friendship because god made us for it he, you know he will honor our efforts towards it yeah all right, with a little bit of time we have left, let's do one more. And um, let's go. So we'll do, and the, the, we'll finish with this one: the art of rooting, and the habit of proximity. Yes, this is, this is a big one for me. And so, for any of the readers who are, are wondering, we're like, we're going through some topics here, right? And if anybody's watching visually, I'm just gonna hold up the uh, the chapter map because so we lay out the the chapter map of the book in these arts and habits of friendship. So we go from vulnerability to honesty, covenant, forgiveness, invitation, geography, time, communication, memory, worship. These are all just like 
different topics. And the, the geography one is right there in the middle. Um, because I think one of the reasons the American current is real and that we become busier, wealthier people who used to have friends is because we default to moving for work rather than moving for friends. We, we default to living where we live because of economic reasons rather than relational reasons. And this is not all bad all the time, okay? Like, I actually moved to China for almost five years to do uh, missionary work. So I made a vocational decision to move across the world from my friends. So there could be a good reason to do it. Um, but I tell the story in the book of how after I went to law school, this was after my missions time in China, I actually felt the Lord calling me to, to go root amongst my friends, even though the law school path I was on would have said move to you know, New York or Shanghai or stay in D.C. where I went to law school to try to get the best, most prestigious lawyering job. But I really had like a, a spiritual sort of revelation at the end of law school where I realized I'm not going to be able to do this demanding call of lawyering with a family and kids unless I have friends very close by. And that's going to be really hard unless I move to where they are. And so I decided to do that. I moved to Richmond and then found a job that would work for that. And that order of operations has changed our life exponentially. I mean, millions of times over. So we still live in Richmond. My wife and I have four boys. I'm still a business lawyer. Um, it's My job is demanding, but I live in fairly radical proximity to friends so that last night, it's not a big ask after bedtime to go over to Matt's front porch and have an important conversation because geographically it's allowed. It's possible. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to be very careful not to try to communicate. And I, I'm very careful about this in the book. If, ever, if anybody reads it, there's a lot of caveats. I'm not telling everybody if you moved for a job, you've done it wrong and yeah. or you have to move right now for friends. I'm just signaling two things. One, that bodies matter. So the, the more, you know, connected we are physically, um, the, the more, the easier it is to become friends. It's just, again, it's looking at Genesis and saying, this is the way that God made us to encounter each other's bodies. And so it matters. So just think about it, you know, think about your, your relational proximity through geographic proximity. And two, just, just factor it in as a decision when you're thinking about that next house or whether you will move it's fine to move for work. I just, I would just say, don't consider it the only reason you should live where you live or don't consider the kitchen or the new renovation or the school district. The only reason you need to move where you move, you also to be a good worker, to be a good church member, to be a good husband, mom, wife, father, you, you also need to have friends because your life will not flourish unless you're in deep friendship. So all of the things that you're called to vocationally in your family, spiritually, you need friends for. So move, like when you move, like think about it, you know, factor it in. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's just a, it's a, it's a big countercurrent to the way we typically live, but I will stand as a living testimony to saying it, it made the difference in our life. And we have an incredible thing happening here in Richmond, Virginia, because many of us have chose to root here and you where, you know, humans beings were made to root. So I, I challenge people root because you'll find friendship 
where you are. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, what a challenge to leave off on. And, um, yeah, you know, I think it's good the way you put it. It's something to seriously factor in while of course there's times that God calls you to go, right? God calls you to go for, um, for the kingdom, for opportunities, for, uh, for things he has for you at times. Um, but, but, uh, but also, you know, seriously consider, uh, rooting as you talked about there. So that's really good. Great, great charge or, or challenge for us to end on. There's a lot of the good stuff in this book. As you uh, showed earlier, you got the map in here. That's just excellent. Like I said before, it's just one of those very like characteristically just an early book, uh, things to have in it, you know, like the map yeah. in there. That's what I, I was telling you before we started that just, I felt even if there was no name on the front of this book, I could have flipped through it and known that it was one of yours. Uh, you know, like that's one of them. And so, and so, as I said before to you, I'll say to the audience, just like with his first two, uh, this book is excellent. I highly recommend it. If this conversation did not make you go pre-order it, or actually it's already out. If this conversation did not make you go order yeah. it already, please go do so now uh, and plan to read it with your friends. And uh, that, that's what mm. I plan on doing. Uh, trying to find some uh see you know which my one of my buddies our friends can read it together um because it is just so good and this is something that you know i'm in my early 30s and this is something that i want to make sure shapes the next 30 years of my life so uh thanks so much for your time justin really appreciate it uh do you want to be able to other than the book do you want to be able to point people to a way that they can follow you stay in touch uh anything else you'd like to plug before we go no people are welcome to um follow i'm most active on on instagram if you want to see more content from the book um and aaron i just one i just want to say thank you um i'm honored by your comment about the book um but i'm I'm also honored about the idea of you reading it with other people because my great hope was to to give a book that people could read in a small group or read in a friend group in order to suddenly take that life deeper so i just feel like if people are out there thinking i'm interested in this but i don't know how to make that turn of conversation after the basketball game or i don't know how to create that moment of friendship what i've tried to write is a resource to do that as in just send this podcast to a friend and say hey you want to like read this together or listen or i'd be happy to read it to you on audiobook i recorded this myself so i could just so i could say that that i will read my book to you but Mm -hmm. i would just it would make me so happy to see people reading this in groups because I firmly believe in where we started with that God made us for friendship and that this is a resource that will take people in it and and you'll suddenly find oh my gosh this is the life we were made for and this is this book hopefully is just one small next step to help get you closer to that life of living into the covenant friendship that Jesus gave us excellent I wholeheartedly agree and encourage people to do the same Well, Justin, thanks so much for your time, for joining us on Filter today. Uh, It was excellent, and I hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, me too, man. This is fun every time. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. 
can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the anchor.